You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so I just wanted to uh, repeat briefly what I was saying. Uh, and again, the shear, of course, was originally dedicated for a very close friend of mine's father, uh, someone who died a number of years ago, a Moroccan immigrant to Eretz Yisrael, uh, who went through very, very difficult times in Morocco, uh, Chagai, ben da- Chagai David ben Aisha Suisa, who uh, was able to bring his family over uh, and save so many of them and create a new life for his family in Eretz Yisrael. Now, this was something that... Oh, I see everybody. Hello, everybody. Um, this was something that was very important to actually create uh, a, a substructure of life in Eretz Yisrael uh, for the Sephardim. Uh, many of them uh, became very, very active and important in the land of er- in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Zion's father, and who he wanted the shir dedicated for him, was someone who, as I was saying before, was someone that loved not only uh, the Sephardic world and invest into his children the importance of the world of the North Africans. He also was somebody who stressed the interconnectedness between the Sephardic and the Ashkenazic world. The Sephardic and Ashkenazic world, especially in Eretz Yisrael, as it was melding together, was crucial. But people who were in Morocco especially knew about that. Anybody who uh, saw the film Casablanca knows what I'm talking about. That was uh, rounding up the usual suspects, of course, was the French who had gone into Morocco and brought a sort of a Western mentality into that country, and the Jews couldn't help be affected by it, including what had already been a tradition of actually knowledge of Ashkenazic customs the uh, Moroccan Jews are some of the only Sephardim that actually are very makbed on Kitnios as much as and, and many other Ashkenazi-like customs. The Suisses were people who uh, embraced the interconnectedness between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. And the Shir today, I hope, will show you also an interconnectedness of that idea. Uh, I, ca- I also want to note, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I don't see him necessarily here with us, but uh, we also want to send out uh, Divrei Nechama uh, to Marcelo uh, Fisher, who lost his father recently. And I believe yesterday, you guys could not, if I'm right, I think yesterday the Shiva was when uh, the Shiva, I think, was over yesterday. Uh, we send out, of course, to Marcel our Divrei Tanchumim and I'm sure Marcel understands that through with Purim and with what's going on in the coronavirus issues, that it was difficult for many of us to get over there and to spend time with him. And we hope this year should also be an Ili Neshama also for his dad. So what was really the point? The point is, I hope everybody can hear me now. Mark, just give me a nod over there. And Leon, I can see you in my screen. So, hi. So we are, we are, we are fine now. And I've got the recording here, and hopefully uh, we should be able to get it done. Here's what the question that came up. The question came up, and I know it's a very strange question. Many people will say this will never happen. Mishloch monos on Purim. Let's say you only have one mana. Let's say you only have one item that you can give to somebody. You only have to give it to one person, but you don't have two. You don't have two monos. 
And again, I know it's hard to imagine nobody having an apple or a banana or some sort of chocolate bar or something or, or whatever it is that's hanging around to act as another money, but it could happen. Um, yeah, you never know with shortages how things could happen, but just imagine that there's going to be one, you can fulfill part, half of the mitzvah. Should I give half of, of, what, the, of what Mordecai and Esther uh, decided we should give? Can I give half? Is that, is that at least something? Or is it, well, you haven't done the mitzvah, but, well, <laughs> you get an A for trying, but you really haven't fulfilled anything. So it's really a, 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 quite an issue that came up, and it actually came up a, a lot. And it had to do, and this is our little bridge between Purim and Pesach. Uh, those of you might remember last year we spoke about the idea of getting sick over mitzvahs. Remember we talked about celiac and people who weren't able to eat matzah and what they should do? You might remember we talked about that. But questions actually did arise in the uh, 17th and 18th century. Actually, things did arise where people weren't able to get a kezayas of matzah. And the question was, if you have less than a kezayas of matzah, now a kezayas, of course, we have a tradition that it says, be'erif tochlo matzos, the word ochel, to eat, is understood and has been explained to mean the amount of a, a kezayas. Now again, we can get into another shear, maybe in another time. What is that shear? How much is a kezayas? And there's been a stormy debate as to how to figure out what a kezayas is in today's uh, in today's world. Have they gotten? Have the zaysim gotten smaller from the time of Chazal? Do we need to eat more? And I don't want to get into that. I, you know, many people have made that their cause celebra to sort of like debunk how much matzah we've been eating. Let's say that you have a very small piece. And actually the case came up, unfortunately, with people that were imprisoned. And they were able to get, uh, I guess, two Jewish prisoners sharing a cell was the case. And the question was, if they would, should they, what should they do? <laughs> can they, can, can at least this doesn't even seem, should, the first question was, maybe one guy should grab the piece for himself and say, I'm sorry, you're not going to get any. The other thing is, maybe if, he, if they crack the piece together, maybe at least we've both got some sort of mitzvah, or is it nothing? So, uh, I don't know if it was an Ashkenaz or a Sephardi who was the first one to get involved in this question, but Rabbi Yaakov Reicher, who was one of the great Ashkenazi poskim uh, in, in the early 1700s, and more than he was a great posek, he had a tremendous mazel. I don't know, he got almost all of his farm printed in his lifetime. He's like one of the, uh, the Chok Yaakov, the Shvus Yaakov, uh, the Shov Yaakov. Uh, almost any time you're going to see a sefer from that period with, the, with that name in it that's in the Shulchan Aruch, it's probably from him. And he, he got printed in the standard Shulchan Aruch uh, on Hilchas Pesach as well. Anyway. Uh, the point is, is that he uh, paskened in that case that it's nothing. If you if you can't fulfill the mitzvah completely, it really doesn't mean much, and therefore it really doesn't count. Uh, he had a proof. I'll tell you what his proof was, and it was a case. I guess can I, should I? I guess what I can do is is uh, indicate the screen here. Uh, and show you where his proof is. So, Mark, uh, wh- what are you seeing on the screen? You're seeing Golan? Is that what you're seeing now? Or are you seeing me? 
Okay. Okay, so right now you're looking at my face primarily, right? Okay. 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 Well, you know what? I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit nervous considering how much of a dinosaur I am here. I'm going to let you guys look at... Again, I didn't put the tie on like I thought I was going to. I'm just going to let you see me. All right? So, so if everybody... So let's put the... So that's... So I'm going to try to give you the graphic idea. Okay? Okay, Mark. So thanks. All right. So basically, the, the, the Rabbi Yaakov Reich's proof was from a, 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 a simon in Shulchan Aruch. A simon in Shulchan Aruch uh, that says uh, pretty openly uh, that if a person, here's the case, a person makes, listen to the case, a person makes a shavuah. And again, this was a type of thing that people did a lot. <laughs> people made shavuahs a lot. Uh, that was one of the reasons why the sechtas nedarim, which deals with that, was a Masechta that, that, that they stopped learning in the yeshivas. People had this sort of mania um, to create Isurim on themselves. I mean, Shavu is an incredible thing. You're able to, to, to use the power of God invested in you to make something awesome. You could say, I, th- that would be, for example, a koname or a nether, where you can, take a, you can take kamquats and you can take apples or whatever it is, and you can say, that these items are now usher to me like chazer or even worse. Chazer or even worse. And for you, if you violate that, you have done something just as bad as eating chazer or, or, or eating maybe even chametz on Pesach, possibly, but of course there's no chiv kars. But there is an avera. You can create averas for yourself. And people used to do that all the time. People, would, and this is the way they bound themselves, uh, right? You could see a person wanting to go on a diet, creating a, a nether for himself, and he violates it. He actually uh, is over a very very uh, hamur, which is, of course, why we do Hataras Nadarim and Anyam Kippur, why we start with Kol Nidre and things like that. So let's say, imagine a person makes a shvua that he's not going to eat matzah. That's his shvua. His shvua is he's not going to eat matzah. Now, he doesn't say, I, he doesn't say I'm not eating matzah on Pesach. He says, I'm not eating matzah. So that, is, that means he's not eating matzah the whole year. So the halacha is brought in Shulchan Aruch, based on a Yerushalmi. The halacha is that he is usher to eat matzah that Pesach night. Because the shvua worked. Now why did the shvua work? The shvua worked because it included not only eating matzah when it's not not eating matzah on Pesach, it was called the Shvuas Kolel, that included everything. It included not only the days of Pesach, included the whole year. That's called an Isra Kolel. An Isra Kolel is able to bichal even on the particular night of Pesach as well, because I didn't make a Shvu against God. I said I'm not going to eat matzah. Now, it happens to me, God says you need to eat matzah on the night of the 15th of Pesach. But the way you articulated the shvuah allowed it to work. It's sort of a loophole that allows the shvuah to work. And therefore, that person 
cannot eat matzah. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch says, if he does, we're going to give him makos. We're actually, if, if, if someone is there, knows about the shvuah, warns him, and says, you made a shvuah that you can't eat matzah, now you're eating it? And he says, I know, but I, I need to eat matzah, because it's Pesach. We will actually take him out and send him to the Bet Din and, uh, and, and uh, give him corporal punishment. We're going to give him makos, we're going to give him lashes, we're going to give him makos for eating uh, matzah on Pesach. Now, of course, the post can say that before this happens, he should go to a rabbi and somehow try to get out of this shvuah. But the shvuah works. Okay. So that is, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Reischer quotes that halacha and says, let's think about it. We know that when it comes to making a shvuah, I'm not going to eat something. How much of that, when you eat, are you considered violating your shvuah? Okay? Is it, unless you say the words, I'm not going to eat even any part of it, remember the term eat in the Torah and in Jewish minds means a kezayis, right? It's got to be in a kezayis. Let's, let, let's just say kezayis is three ounces, okay? 2.2, let's just say three ounces. If it's true that the person, um, uh, the person is, 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 is uh, why do we say that he can't eat matzah? Why don't we tell the guy, let him eat a little bit of matzah at least, in other words, if he eats a half a kezayis of matzah, that doesn't violate the shvuah, and he gets some mitzvah. So instead of the person feeling like a total idiot, that not only did he not get a mitzvah, he got makos, let him eat less than the amount. He doesn't get makos because he didn't eat a complete amount. Everybody understand what I'm saying? In other words, a complete amount for the shvuah to get makos would be a kezayis. But if, if it's correct that less than the amount is still something, so let him eat less than the amount because he can't find a rabbi to get him out of the shvuah this year. So let him eat a little bit and at least he'll have some sort of mitzvah instead of telling you, oh, he's also from eating any matzah. So it must be, Reicher, Rabbi Yaakov Reicher then assumes, that chatzi uh, shir, half of his shir, is really nothing. And since it's nothing, basically there's nothing this guy can do. Otherwise we would tell the person, eat a little bit of matzah. At least, and, and if you eat a little bit of matzah, at least you have some sort of mitzvah. The Shulchan Aruch doesn't say that. So that seems to be proof that a, a little bit of a mitzvah is nothing. That's Reicher's proof. Rabbi Yaakov Reicher's proof. Um, the other proof that uh, is, is, is indicated is from the fact uh, that wh- where does this idea of half of a, an, a half of something come up? So there's a Gemara in Yuma uh, which mentions of a person eats less than the amount of a, a, a big fat date and its pit. That's the shear for Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the amount that you're not allowed to eat is called a Koseves Hagasa with its garin. Now that's a little bit more within three ounces. Let's say that's about, I would say that's about, I don't know, maybe about four or five ounces of food. That's the amount of, of, of eating you're not allowed to eat on Yom Kippur. Because on Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, whatever the way you want to say it, the Isser is, uh, is to be in a state of non-Inui. <laughs> the Torah keeps on saying, Vinisem es nafsho seichem, to uh, afflict yourself. So as long as you are not, uh, if you have 
not <laughs> if you are still afflicted, you have not done the Avera. But if you are now unafflicted, which means you eat enough to make you, I feel okay, I feel like I'm all right now, Yishavadas, the Gemara calls it, Yisuv Daite, then you have violated the law of Yom Kippur and your Chayiv Kares. That's the Halach on Yom Kippur. Now, how much is that? When it comes to eating, it's about four or five ounces. That's the amount of eating Yom Kippur that gets you the penalty of death from God. Okay. So now the question is, what about if somebody would eat less than that amount? And again, we're not talking about someone who is a chola who needs to eat. We're not talking about someone who is a chola sheish basakana that must eat. Somebody who eats less than that, what what is as his as anything is that is that wrong? So this is a machlokus. Uh, the two great amaroyim of Eretz Yisrael of the first generation. That's Rabbi Yochanan and Rishlokish. Everybody's heard of them. And Rabbi Yochanan says chazi shir asur minatora. Rishlokish says. Now, the Gemara assumes originally that according to Rish Lokish, it's actually completely mutter. <laughs> he only says Minatora because Yochanan says it's Oser from the Torah. But let's talk about Yo. Let's, so let's talk about Yochanan for a minute. The Gemara wants to figure out Yochanan, where do you know that even less than the amount is Oser from the Torah? So, Yochanan brings two sources. One is a source from a pasuk, an extra word that it says by the eating of chalif. I want to uh, move that source, let's uh, put that on the side, from the extra word kol chalif in Perik Zion of Ayikra. But I want to talk about his other source. His other source is a logical source. He says, well, think about it. The amount that you're eating could clearly be added to and he uses the term chazi le'itzterufei. There's enough here to add other stuff to. Now eventually, if he gets the five ounces, the first couple of ounces were obviously part of the yisua, right? So if he starts to bite and he starts to eat, and then he adds some more, obviously every single part of what he ate was part of this avera. It's chazi le'itzterufei, right? <laughs> because you're able to eat, uh, when you eat the, let's say he eats... And, and we have to talk about how long he needs to be able. But let's say the amount of time is about six or seven minutes, which is another hetar of eating on Yom Kippur. If you eat little, uh, if you take a little bit of in your mouth over an extended period of time. But let's assume it's about six or seven minutes. So within six or seven minutes, he eats five ounces. He's chayv karis. Now, the first stuff that he ate during the first couple of minutes when he was just putting in morsels in his, in his, in his mouth all combined to create the whole picture of Avanaveira. So therefore, it must be, it must be that uh, everything that the person has eaten is actually Osir. How else can it work? Chazi litztarufe. That is what Rabbi Yochanan says. Chazi litztarufe. Rosh does not respond to that. Rosh seems to see that, okay, look, at the end, what happened is we look backwards and say, look how much you ate. But if you stop before you get there, so you're not going to be chayef. One, okay, so that is what Rabbi Yochanan says. Now let's talk about, now, that is the only place in Chas that we speak about seemingly half of an of a action, half of an Avera. So the halacha, we paskin like Rabbi Yochanan. We paskin the chatzishir is osir minatorah. 
Now, where would this be relevant? This would be relevant, for example, if a person uh, would uh, on, on Pesach, if a person is told by his doctors that eating a certain amount of chametz material would would really help his digestion. Right? He's got a certain. Let's say there's a certain sort of um, uh, of, of of mixture that he needs to mix into water, uh, and it can really help his digestion along. Now, that mixture contains a little bit of chametz. It doesn't contain a kazayas, but contains a little bit of chametz. What is wrong with this person? He's got stomach issues. He wants to be regular. He doesn't, right? I don't have to go into too many details, right? But he wants to be regular. So he is a person who we would call a chole, but not a chole with sakana at all. He's definitely a guy with, with, with stomach issues, and if he doesn't have his if he doesn't have his regular stuff, he's got he's got stomach aches and he's not pleasant to be around. He feels like he needs to lie down, but that is not a person with sakana. That's a person who's called chole, maybe kol gufo. The halacha is by chole kol gufo. Anyone who's like that, the rabbis say we're not going to impose our uh, isurim against you. You we are actually going to. Uh, allow those Yisurim to fall by the wayside in order for you to be healthy. Now, if it's a Torah law, then the only thing that can allow those that Isur to be knocked off is the threat of a life-threatening situation. So, hear the difference? Life-threatening situation. Non-threatening life situation. What's the difference? A chola kolgufo, all rabbinical laws are suspended to allow him to regain his full health. But if it's a Torah law, he has to be in danger. So what is the din? A little bit of chametz. Well, if a little bit of chametz is also from the Torah, then you would have to be besakana to be able to have a little bit of chametz. So if you paskin, like Rabbi Yochanan, that a couple of ounces on Yom Kippur is Aser, then a little bit of Chametz is also Aser. Not just Aser Midarabon, an Aser from the Torah. And we would not allow a person who's ill to take any of it unless doctors tell us that this could lead to some uh, dangerous situation uh, down the road. But if it's clearly just being uncomfortable and having to stay in bed and not being able to be around, that wouldn't allow you to have any of that Chametz. Okay? Now, there might be other ways out of this. You might you can make it non-chametz. But assuming that it's real chametz that he's having, it would be usr, according to Rabbi Yechanan. Chatsi shir usr menatayra. So there is a very big difference whether we paskan chatsi shir usr or chatsi shir mutar. Okay. Now, if Rabbi Yochanan is right, and we paskan like Rabbi Yochanan, what a, should we flip this for mitzvos? The same way... Think about it, right? We all know that, the, you know the Gemara that says, Midatova, Meruva Midaparonius. Good things, right, are 500 times better than bad things. I guess for us now, we, we're going to expect a lot of Midatova coming up because we've had this Peronius uh, uh, and the Coronius in a very, that's for you, Mark. So that's a, uh, the, the Coronius Peronius has been definitely very strong, and we're going to hoping for 500 times more, something more positive to happen. And I hope it will. And let's all be mispala that it will. But let's think about it now in terms of what I just said. According to Rabbi Yechonon, the Peronius, which is the Isser, 
a little bit is usher. So for sure, a mitzvah, right? Shouldn't a mitzvah be mutter? That, that would be sort of the logic, you would say. A little mitzvah, shouldn't that be something? Shouldn't that be some sort of kiyum of some sort of thing? That's the argument uh, that was offered against Reicher. In other words, Reicher says, and this was offered by the great Sephardi uh, Chacham, of Chaim Yosef David Azulai. Okay? So he said a, a little bit, come on, if Chatzishir Shir is Oser from the Torah, shouldn't a little bit of a mitzvah be something? Right? Shouldn't it at least have a shame, a kiyam of a mitzvah? That is uh, the Chidah, uh, his argument. And he actually wrote about a 10-page uh, tshuva to pretty much argue for the case that a, a person has a fulfillment of some sort of mitzvah when he can only do part of it. And it's not like, okay, it's not an A for trying. It really counts towards a mitzvah. And of course, that would mean, in many ways, um, that, for example, uh, if you made a shvua not to do that, the shvuah wouldn't mean anything. For example, if a person made a shvuah that he's not going to give, let's say in the case we talked before of a shvuah manos, if a person makes a shvuah, I will not give even one mana to anybody on uh, Purim. Well, if giving one mana is a little bit of a mitzvah, the halacha is you cannot make a shvuah against the mitzvah. Or let's say, what I said before about a shvu, I'm not even going to eat a little bit of, of matzah. Well, if a little bit of matzah is a mitzvah, then we then you can't make a shvuah to counteract a mitzvah. So if if, if the chidah is right, then it makes an, a, a difference in many many ways. Uh, the shvuah wouldn't work. You would f- try to fulfill the mitzvah uh, as much as you can. And I think this is really a, 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 an interesting issue because. Here's another. Uh, uh, here's another where where this comes up. Um, the great, uh, as you know, Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, you didn't expect me to mention Napoleon Bonaparte, or I didn't mention France earlier. Napoleon Bonaparte had a great idea. He was going to, in a way, um, he was going to uh, give the Jews complete emancipation, but he wanted to get a uh, complete understanding of what Judaism was because there was a lot of issues. Uh, me and Mark were talking earlier today how you live among Jews, but you're not sure exactly what they do and what their laws are. So Napoleon said, I want, I want my Jews to be a, a full part of French citizenship. But in order for that, I want them to have a convocation and have a grand Sanhedrin. The great Sanhedrin should meet and they should answer questions. What's going on with intermarriage? What's going on with connecting with non-Jews? And of course, they, they, Napoleon said we're going to get the notables of, 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 of the country from France and all its environs to come and meet in Paris, the Grand Sanhedrin of Paris. Now, who was going to lead this Grand Sanhedrin? So there was a rabbi who was called Rabbi Yosef David Sinsheim. Uh, and he was, uh, he wrote many svarim, but if anybody, if you ever ask any person who knows about Jewish history, the only thing he knows about him is that he was the leader of the Grand Sanhedrin. And he, and, and again, not everybody was a rabbi, by the way. Uh, the people that were part of the Sanhedrin, some of them were just lay leaders, some of them were not even religious Jews. But he wanted there to be this idea 
of the Grand Sanhedrin. And again, it was a very, uh, you can see why people were, were, were taken by Napoleon's idea, because the Jews for years had been pushed down. And come on, since I'm, uh, they said, he isn't some stooge, he's a Talmud Chacham, he's written Svarim. And one of his Svarim, he actually talks about this idea about half of a mitzvah. And he says, people are all talking about the Svartim, the Ashkenazim. He says, what about Moshe Rabbeinu himself? We know Moshe Rabbeinu, one of the last things he did in his life was, of course, he wrote a Sefer Torah, but we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, separated three cities in Eretz, in, in, on Ever Ayardin, right, where they had conquered, those three cities would have a, a din of an ir miklat. You might know what I'm talking about. It's mentioned in the Torah a number of times. Oz Yavdil Moshe Ashlosha Horim. So Moshe was mobbed of these three cities uh, to act as Ori Miklot. What is Ori Miklot? I don't think I have to explain, but you know what it means. A Ratzayach would go there and be able to be saved. However, we know that those didn't work until Yehoshua came into Eretz Yisrael and conquered and was able to establish his three cities on his side, on the Eretz Yisrael side. And once Yeshua did his job, then it all came together. So here's the question. <laughs> the question is, if Moshe Rabbeinu did something, right? If, Moshe Rabbe, if it's true that a little bit of a mitzvah is something, then basically, uh, well... If it's a is it's if, if I'm sorry if a little bit let's think about it if a little bit of a mitzvah is nothing then what did Moshe Rabbeinu do right if you need to do a whole mitzvah right the whole mitzvah is getting all six together and if you don't get all six you only have three and you need all six to create the mitzvah then what did Moshe do right so from there it seems to be since I'm says it seems to be that that I guess Moshe did nothing. Well, one second. Uh, maybe Moshe did a part of a mitzvah. Well, if Moshe did part of a mitzvah, did Yeshua also only do part of a mitzvah? So this is really where, the, the, he says it's very confusing. He says, now, on one hand, you can see from the case of Moshe Rabbeinu that probably it means doing part of something is, is a mitzvah. Maybe it's not the full mitzvah, but maybe it's, it at least counts. But if that's true, doesn't that take away from what Yeshua did, finishing the mitzvah? Is the mitzvah was the mitzvah? When was it done? Was part of it by Moshe? Part of it by Yeshua? He says it, it really creates a great confusion in this this whole issue. Um, okay, another place this comes up. One a great Sfardi Rav weighed in on something that happens all the time, which is writing a Sefer Torah. Okay, many of you have probably been part of this great. We're writing a Sefer Torah for our show. Uh, this man is writing a Sefer Torah, everybody come to the house, and of course one of the big things is that what do you get? You get a letter, right? You're going to write a letter in the Sefer Torah. Okay. What is that? (laughs) The mitzvah is to write the complete Sefer. I'm sure many of you, you can nod if it ever happened, or right? Have you ever sat and said, okay, we're going to honor you with writing this letter, or you can buy a letter. Well, the mitzvah is having a complete Sefer Torah. If Reicher is right, then what you, <laughs> you're paying for nothing, right? It's only a Sefer Torah if you write the whole thing, right? So a little bit of a mitzvah really, right? So now if you say like, if you say like, um, 
like the Chido, like the Sephardi, you say like the Chido, then you can say, well, we, there's a mitzvah's mitzvah. But if you say like, uh, but if you assume there's no mitzvah, then writing one letter really doesn't have any kiyom at all. Okay, that's another difference. Okay, so this is really an issue that came up practically, and it really comes up in many, many places. Now, there's some that say that the only place uh, a little bit of a, a, a shear is a mitzvah is only like in Rabbi Yochanan's case, where it has to do with food, right? But if it's not about food, and there's no pusik about chaylev backing it up, if it's just an action, maybe the whole thing, it's only in food that a little bit of, of food is a mitzvah. But maybe an actual action, like the cases I just mentioned, doing an action, which is the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, or writing a Sefer Torah, there this idea of part way as a mitzvah perhaps doesn't even register. That's uh, one way to perhaps say that, uh, again, to sort of put be somewhere in the middle. If it's, uh, when it comes to matzah, a little bit of matzah is a mitzvah. But in terms of a physical action, a physical action needs to be the complete action. If you're not going to do the whole thing, part of the action isn't really even a kiyama mitzvah at all. When it comes to food, it's the same svar of Rabbi Yochanan. The same way when you eat the whole kezayas of matzah, everything you ate is part of the mitzvah, right? So obviously, even a little bit, if you don't even eat the rest, is also a mitzvah. So this would be a middle ground. So either we say chatzis shir is always a mitzvah, no matter what the action is, or chatzis shir is nothing, or we can say chatzis shir is something, if, however, it is uh, a food item. Okay. So let's 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 uh, again. If you take a look at the material on this, you'll see everybody and his grandmother weighs in on this discussion in some way or form. If I would send you all the sources, it would overload your computer, I would say. If I show everybody who has something to say about this issue, because it's a very popular and interesting idea in people's minds. So I, I just want to share with you something that I saw from uh, the great uh, Ashkenazi uh, Posek and thinker, Rabbi Yosef Engel, who, who lived into the 20th century. Um, he... Uh, well, he's basically, um, he knows about this debate, and he writes about it in seven or eight places in his book, maybe even more, in his various books. But I think when I read between the lines, his heart is with uh, the Ashkenazim here. And by the way, it's not only Ashkenazim. There are some Spartam also say that it means that it, there's no Kiyama Mitzvah. And I'll tell you why he says it. Because he says like this. He says that, let's think about the two things I mentioned before. The two things I mentioned before were uh, an iser. Uh, uh, there's, a, a, for example, there's you get kares for eating a complete amount of, of of food on Yom Kippur. Now, let's say uh, uh, when it comes to a piece of chazer, a piece of pig, or a nevela, the amount if you eat a kazais, you get makos, you get beaten. We talked about or a shvuah. Clearly, those two things are two levels of Isser. There's a level of Isser where we will beat you. There's another level of Isser where there's a death sentence on you. Two, there's a hierarchy of Isser. Rabbi Yosef Engel says, when Rabbi Yochanan, who says, Achatzi Shir is Usser from the Torah, he doesn't really mean that it's okay, not as bad as, it's, it's just like Makos is level two. 
and Kores is level three. There's level one where it's just usur, but there's no uh, nothing happens to you in a court or we can't punish you. But it's definitely usur and you're a Russia Minatora for doing it. So that's not what it means. What it means is is that you've begun an action of Isser. And you're going over to the dark side, so to speak, and that movement is already Usser. Because when it comes to Averot, once it's a slippery slope, like Rabbi Yochanan says, but it doesn't mean essentially a level of Isser. It means it's part of where an Averot goes. He says when it comes to mitzvos. God really, although mitzvahs, you expect God to be even more loving, mitzvahs work differently. Mitzvahs is about fulfillment. <laughs> and if you go part way and don't fulfill the whole thing, that's not a mitzvah. Mitzvahs is about elevation towards an accomplishment. And part way is not really a shame mitzvah at all. He gives a, an interesting parallel to this. Um, when it comes to um, when it comes to let's compare Tisha B'Av to Purim so he quotes the great, uh, one of his favorite authors, Yosef Engels who we're talking about, one of his favorite authors who he was very influenced by was the famous Maral of Prague, we all know him right, he made the golem but he was also a great mystic and a very expansive writer and he wrote uh, very important works so one of the works that he wrote is called uh, Netzach Yisrael, which is all about what does it mean to experience Avelus and Chorban. Now, the Gemara says, if you might remember, that Omer uh, Rabbi Yochanan says, if I would have lived in the time of the when they created Tisha B'av, I would have said Tisha B'av should be on the tenth of Av, not on the ninth of Av. Because it was on the tenth above that the build the base Hamikdash actually burnt. That's when the burning occurred. Okay, sounds right. Because on the ninth above it was just the fighting, and and the beginning. But where you saw the flames erupt and the building begin to crumble was on the tenth above. Why therefore weren't Chazal? Didn't Chazal say that the that the day of fasting should be on the tenth of Av? So uh, the Gemara answers that when it comes to Peronius, which we mentioned before, Haschalosa Peronius Adifa, that the beginning of Peronius is really where it starts. A person, the negative thing starts, even though it's not yet erupted. We know. We saw what was happening, the mass slaughter, the fire that had started to be stoked, the arrows of flames that started to be shot into the building. However you imagine it, that's the beginning. And that, and when it comes to Averos, that's crucial. That moment is when it started. That's the moment. You might be able to stop it, but that moment is the moment of bad. Now, when it comes to uh, positive things, the morale says, take a look, we have the opposite idea. Why don't we have Purim on the day that we really started to kill our enemies, <laughs> which was on the 14th, I'm sorry, on the 13th. The 13th was a battle day. 
But boy, was it a great battle, right? It was a tremendous battle, and we were winning. We, right, we, 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 we smashed them. Now, again, I, I, one of my things I talk about on Purim a lot is that even though we don't mention any Jewish casualties, can you believe there were none? I mean, there were 75,800 uh, of our enemies approximately died. It's hard for me to imagine there weren't any Jewish casualties on Purim. Uh, you would think, not one Jew died? Again, you don't think one one Amalekite was able to get a shot in to, to somehow wound someone? We don't even hear about that. But anyway, the point was, though, it was very, I would assume the casualties were not great. And it would seem that would be the day to celebrate the day that we actually were, we, we, we achieved victory in so many battles. That would be the idea of when to have Purim. And yet we don't have Purim that day. We have Purim when the battle is completely over and we are able to say, we did the job. So, meaning, when it comes to a mitzvah, it's when it's over. The killing of Amalek isn't the finishing. It's recognizing what the miracle was, what it was about, and being able to reflect. So unlike Tishabov, where it's the Paronius, like the Avera, Rabbi Yosef Engel says, where the beginning, the Chatzishir, the beginning of the action, is already the beginning of something negative, and it's significant, even to the point that this is when we begin to commemorate Tishabov. When it comes in the positive, when it comes to the mitzvah, it's only when you have the completion. It's only when you have a complete victory and menucha that you have Purim. It's only when you have the recognition of what the battle meant. You have a recognition of, 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 of the significance where they're not even around to fight, even though it isn't as exciting if somebody would, the excitement happened on the, uh, uh, the on the 13th. That's when you saw people, uh, the incredible, uh, no, the noble fighting that was going on. The images of, of that probably would make your heart race in excitement. On the 15th, it's basically walking around and everybody's got their hands up in surrender and, and we're pushing them around. But that's the way it is when it comes to a mitzvah. A mitzvah has to have shlemus. It has to have the completion. And that's why... Uh, Yosef Engel and uh, Rabbi Yaakov Reicher and others say that a half of a mitzvah, again, it, it might mean something, but it's not a kima mitzvah at all. Uh, again, the, the question came up, I'll end with this, since it has to do with my hometown where I'm from. Uh, the, the, uh, the question came up about um, uh, during the Civil War. Uh, there was an embargo... Uh, on the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River uh, was where the South uh, was able to send supplies, right? They were able to get supplies up from... I don't want to touch my face because I want to be <laughs> for the corona, but I, I'm not going to touch my face here. But in the South, I got an itch. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But anyway, um, in the South, they stopped. The, they put the embargo on the Mississippi River. So Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I'm from, uh, they would get shipments from the Mississippi, and the Jews there would get shipments. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.